as we just sang about prayer, I want to begin this moment uh, in God's word uh, with, uh, with doing just that. So would you mind buying with me and let's just sanctify this moment. Father, as we just think about prayer as a means by which we connect with you, and it is really a way that we hit the pause button on life and we hear that still small voice. And Lord, we pray that you would speak to us on this journey that we're going through, these 40 days of praying and thinking about your purposes and especially thinking about you and all that you've done for us. I pray, Father, that as I proclaim your word, that I can do so in a way that is reflective of your intent, that if there is a purpose within each heart here, that you would accomplish it through your word and that you would help us, Father, to be the people that we need to be for the season and the moment that we are living in. And I pray that you would just uh, anoint us, Lord, with your spirit, that we could uh, be bold messengers uh, as we step out in faith uh, into a broken world and we allow you to work through us and in front of us. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, many of you I know are going through uh, the readings that we're doing in Draw the Circle. Uh, it's a book that we have right outside the worship center. And, and if you don't have a copy, I, I just encourage you to just grab one on your way out. Uh, it is about 18 days into a 40-day experience that we're doing where we're taking that one aspect of our, our, our spiritual lives uh, as we live in Christ, prayer, and making that the focus. And uh, I, I don't know about you, but for me, it's, it's been very helpful because I think every time that we take intentional seasons of prayer, God does something. He changes things in our lives. He redirects us. Perhaps he undoes us a little bit. And today we're at a place in this journey where we're going to focus on something called faith. Now, the writer of Hebrews talks about it. He says, faith is the substance of things hoped for and the assurance of things not seen. Which sounds kind of theological and abstract until you try to make that a practical reality. And I thought, how can I take that idea of faith and make it meaningful? Uh, I think the best way to do is to just uh, ask the scripture, what, what does the Bible say about faith? And embedded in the book of Hebrews... Um, uh, we have this sense of faith being preeminent in the lives of people whose stories have been told uh, for, in the Bible and, and beyond. And I'd like to read just uh, a briefly a passage of scripture from Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8. And it talks about the faith of Abraham. And in this list uh, he's singled out as, as, as a key person who has done something that um, maybe we can relate to, maybe not. Uh, but I'm just going to read it and then I'm going to tell a, a quick story. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he's going. And I'm just going to leave that up there if we can. Because as I underscore that last set of words, not knowing where he's going. You have to be like me. Uh, a little bit sympathetic towards Abraham because you're thinking he's told to do something pretty bold and dramatic. To take his whole family, his whole entourage, his whole farm and just go to the place that God says, trust me, there's a place that I've mapped out already that is your destiny. And all Abraham had to do was take a first step. 
And I tried to relate this to a personal experience as I was imagining what he felt like. And the best thing that I could, I could come up with was um, the birth of our first child. Now, if, you, if you've ever gone through this experience, and, and especially um, uh, if, you're, if you're the male right now, not, not discounting any other aspect of it, but in my role, I'm not the one who is going through all the labors and all of the gestation and all of the discomfort, um, but I'm thinking about how can I provide for my family in a way that makes uh, our family secure. And I remember thinking, I'm looking forward to the day when we have a kid. When that day came, I wasn't really ready for it. Uh, my wife walked out of the bathroom and she said, guess what? We're expecting. And my first thought was just a wave of adrenaline. Like, yeah, theoretically that sounds like a wonderful thing, but right now I'm not sure that I'm ready for it in this moment. Because when you're talking about a kid, you're talking about a whole life of formation. And then you just pray that whenever they get to that place where they're ready to leave the home, that they're going to be prepared. And all of those thoughts rush through my mind. And then I was imagining how that person who I don't even know yet is going to somehow survive in this world. And all of those thoughts rushed over me. And it was like God had just said, wait, just take it a step at a time, easy. Well, he didn't tell me that right then in that moment, but he told me after about two days of ruminating on this, okay, Leonard, calm down. This is going to be something that is not entirely up to you. It's up to us. The family and the covenant and the relationship that God has with us is going to provide the environment for these things to unfold. And so as I began to sort of de-escalate in my anxiety, I felt a sense of peace that God was in the process. But that didn't keep me periodically from being overwhelmed with the prospect of stepping into parenthood. And maybe you've had that sense at a point in your life where you're called to do something that is of a magnitude that you just can't comprehend it. And having a kid in the world is pretty substantial in that way. And as Abraham is being called to do something, he's called to take the security that he has and the security that he's providing for the people that he loves, and he's, he's, he's told by God to move all of that into a place where I will show you. Now, if you're like me, it's always good to be prepared. And I think if I'm prepared, then whatever happens, I can manage it. But there are some callings and there are some challenges that God moves us into that we are in no way prepared for. And tomorrow, you're going to be reading in, uh, on day 19 in the book, Draw the Circle, uh, something that is entitled, um, Go, Set, Ready. Now, did that sound right? No, no. You're thinking, ready, set, go, right? But oddly enough, the title of the chapter is Go, Set, Ready. And it's centered on the life of Abraham and how he is called into action of faith whenever he is not prepared at all. And I think whenever God is, is, is prompting us to pray like he's prompting us to pray, um, and as we're reading this book and as we're reflecting on scripture, for me anyway, I see a theme beginning to emerge, and that is God saying, what are you waiting for? What big, bold thing 
do you think I'm calling you into? Because I think God's calling each of us into something. It may not be as dramatic as that, but it may be, it may be along a similar lines. It may be the fact that as God is looking at your world, he's saying, now you know every day you wake up and you scan the horizon of your life, there are problem areas. There are circumstances that are difficult. There are perhaps people that you know who need lots of help. Or maybe you were at a meeting the other day and there was a conversation that said, this is going on in the community and somebody needs to do something about it. Maybe you're in a school setting and you see kids all day long, just many of them misguided, have no people in their lives who can speak the truth to them and you're feeling like, I wish that there was somebody who would come and mentor them and guide them in God's truth. I think if any of us have our eyes open, we know that there's plenty out there for us to pay attention to if, if, if we just look. But the thing that I really want you to consider is what God may be doing in nagging you about a particular thing. Because if you're like me and you're asking God, what bold thing should I be praying for and what bold thing should we be moving into? Maybe God is saying, what have I been sort of prompting you about? What have I been nudging you on? What have I been sort of bringing to the surface of your thinking about lately. And maybe that's God's way of saying, that's the thing I want you to pay attention to. That's the thing I want you to begin to take a step of faith toward. And that's the thing that you probably feel like whenever I show you that you are not equipped to do anything about. Because the problem is insurmountable. It is overwhelming. And quite honestly, God, I just don't have the capacity for that. And if that is where you're at, that is exactly where God wants you to be. Abraham is looking at a lot of things in his life in this moment, I believe. Because uh, if, if we look at his backstory just a little bit, um, we find that in, in, in Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3, kind of the beginning. And this is when God shows up in Abraham's life. He's not even called Abraham yet. It's just Abram from Ur of Chaldee. And he says, Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and your name will be great so that you will be a blessing. And, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. And those you bless, I will bless. And those you curse, I will, I, will, uh, I will curse. And he goes on to just explain that there is a program underway. And it is simply this. I'm going to take you, Abraham, who has no child right now. And I'm going to establish something whereby all of the earth will be blessed. Now here's Abraham's dilemma, and it, 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 it's a lot more, it's, it's of a lot larger scale than, than you and me. He, he's, he's asking a lot of questions about the world that he's living in and how things are not the way he would like them to be. He's uncomfortable with the life that he's living right now. He's unsettled, and he's sort of looking for a means by which he can have some peace with himself. How do I know that? Because in his story... He was 
from a, a, a region where people worshipped idols. And the family business was actually centered on the prospect of making these idols so that people could obtain them and then by means of rituals and worship find their lives empowered through their connection with them. And that's what his dad did. But there was something stirring in Abraham that said, I get that we need to have a spiritual connection with the higher power and deity but I'm very uncomfortable with how I see my family uh, taking this route towards idolatry. And I'm not sure what to do about it. And that was sort of his dilemma. And I had this feeling that dad was even sort of coaching him to become uh, the proprietor of the family business whenever the time was right. And all of these things are stirring in his head. And he's like, there must be something better. There has to be. Because what's going on there with them, I'm not comfortable with. So in his own mind, he's saying, I see a problem. And it begins even in my home. And I'm not sure where to, where to go or what to do or who to talk to about it. And so there he is. Asking questions. Feeling discontent. And wondering how. And then the most dramatic thing that could ever happen to a human being happened. God said, Abram. And it was like that question in Abraham's mind was predisposed to that moment because he was looking. And I don't think God's going to show up if you're not looking, honestly. But when you are looking, that's the best time to see him. And in his discontent, God said probably a few more things than what we read there. I'm guessing he said, Abraham, I know that you're discontent with your father's idol-making business. Is why you're in this place of disconnectedness from everything that is supposed to be living the good life. And I know, Abraham, that your conscience is saying there has to be a better, more right way. And Abraham, I want to show you that there is a better right way. You just have to follow me. And I don't think if Abraham had that discontent, he would have followed. He would have trusted. I think he had to be in that place where he said, I have nothing to lose. I'm going to follow this God wherever he leads. And so he went. But what Abraham was drawn into was because of what he had experienced um, in, his, in his past. On the family level, it was idolatry, but the story runs so much deeper. You see, in the history of the Bible, we find 11 chapters in the opening statement of what the Bible tells us. And in those chapters are embedded, well, you could take chapters 1 and 2, the creation of the world, and you could set it aside, and then you could just, you could just put a, a title over the rest saying, train wreck. Everything that people have tried to do on their own initiative without God has led to their undoing. It has been, it has been well-intended but misguided. It has been me first at the expense of everything else. 
even to the point where violence was 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 enacted upon the adversaries of of different people that were asserting themselves. And as this thing unfolds, there's a there's 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 the son of Adam who murders his brother. Um, there's other people that come up and they, they end up tyrannizing the people around them. And as the story unfolds, it just gets wickeder and wickeder and wickeder. Finally, God says, it is so bad I've got to destroy the earth completely, which he does. But for some reason, it didn't solve the problem. And God's burdened with this problem because he sees the world and he wants to bless the world. Like he wants to bless your life and mine. That desire has never changed. But what breaks God's heart, like our hearts are broken by the things that we see around us that aren't right, is the fact that he knows that there is so much more that we could walk into if we would. Well, Abram is is aware of the storyline, but he's not sure who this God is or what this God's up to. And then this God shows up. And it becomes clear that things are a mess and that there needs to be a... A grand reset. And it culminates by the building of this structure. Where people align themselves in such a way that they say we're going to build a tower. And as we, as we climb this tower we're going to find ourselves closer to the deity. It's kind of like we, what we just sang. In that we aspire to be in those high heavenly places. But it's unattainable until those high heavenly places become part of our world through Jesus. And these individuals were trying to do everything possible to orchestrate their lives in such a way that it was all about them and their agenda. And God says, I'm going to undo this. Because that's not how it works. And he laid this whole train wreck scene before Abraham. And he said... My desire is to take my blessing and embed it in every life and every part of the world. But not every part of the world is ready to receive it. So I have to just begin small and then just allow it to grow into the world. And God said, it's going to begin with you, Abram. And you're not fully aware of how I'm going to do it. You're not fully equipped of how it's going to happen. But just follow me into it and I will orchestrate your path. And so Abraham saw the need. He saw the brokenness. He even experienced it himself. And his life wasn't necessarily what I call perfect. Yet, God was saying, I want to move you into the story. But you have to trust me in faith. And as we're going through this prayer time together, going through the uh, draw the circle readings, and being prompted by Praying for something that is significant in our lives that disturbs us. Maybe God is telling you this morning, what is it? As you ask him, as you're predisposed to ask him, what is it God that you are speaking to me about in my world that's nagging you as it's nagging me? And I have to believe that if you ask that question, God will answer it. And how he, how he execute that process, really that's up to him. Now the thing about our daughter being born into the world is that I, I'm just, I was just, I've been ill-equipped from the get-go, honestly. I've just been playing catch-up. Because when it came 
time from that moment of being aware that she's a thing to the, to the awareness that she is actually going to be a human being here on earth, um, I, I'm still fraught with uncertainty and unreadiness. And I can recall, I think I've shared this before, how we were right up to the evening of her delivery and the birth pangs began with consumption of some very expensive prime rib only to be deconsumed in a way that said, it is on. And when Mandy said, it is on, all I could think of was, yeah, theoretically I was ready for this, but I am not ready for this. So I grabbed the manual about the Lamaze classes that we had taken together. My mind is completely locked up, and I'm just reading through it. And she's like, put that away, it's too late. we got to get going to the hospital. I'm like, Lord, I am not ready for this. This isn't going to work. Well, after my mother-in-law looked at me like, you did that to her, um, then a kid came, and then God just said, relax. I got this. And if you're like me, having a kid starting there and being reminded of how ill-equipped you are, it's just God's friendly way of saying, you will never be equipped because you will always need me because life with children or anything else is go, set, ready. Right? You have one kid, you think you got it all down. You have three, you're like, I know nothing about child-rearing. They're all different. By the grace of God, they've made it to their 18th birthday. But what's so cool is how God orchestrates things in their lives that you can't. I remember signing for a student loan for my first one to go to school and imagining, holy cow, I've signed for this student loan. I have two more coming up. How in the world, Lord, I know you can you know, create a great nation out of Abram, but three student loan payments? Seriously? And God's like, relax. And sure enough, daughter gets a job, gets her school, finds a way to take all that wonderful information and make it a, a good experience. And then boot, taking responsibility for her debt. And I'm like, huh, yeah God, I guess you were in this act already. And God's just saying on so many fronts in your life and mine, much of what you do has nothing to do with you other than you being faithful and stepping into it and showing up. And then allowing me to equip you in whatever way you need along the way. And Abraham had to be reminded a few times along the way that that's what God does. Because as he pondered the fact that the whole nation was going to, not only the whole nation, the whole earth is going to be blessed by this blessing that God is flowing through my life into the world. Uh, There's a logistical issue that gets right in the way. And it's the fact that he and his wife are unable to conceive. And it's like, yeah, God, good plan, but I don't think that's going to work. He even tried to orchestrate circumstances so that the plan could still happen. God said, no, no, you, gotta, you have to wait for my time. And if you've been following the readings, you know that one of the themes that also emerges is the fact that when we pray, God always answers our prayers, but it's not always in the way that we think he's going to or on the timetable that he says he's going to do it. God is not bound by, by height and width and length and time. 
He's beyond all of that. And so when we pray, he's saying, I'll work in my way in my own time. And when I do, you need to pay attention. You need to be aware. And you need to see. And so he had to remind Abraham of that. Just like he had to remind the rest of us. Because we like to think that we are in control, don't we? And that we can map it all out. And that we can get equipped. And we can be prepared. And when the time comes, we're ready. But it never seems to follow the script, does it? And maybe God is saying to you, I want you to go set ready. I want you to step into that thing that I'm calling you into. Because just like Abraham... I want to bless those people that you are disturbed about or that situation. I want the blessing that I allowed to flow through Abraham to flow into your life. And the only thing that is getting in the way is your doubt. Which it always does. But at least doubt is safe, right? I mean, there's one thing that we can depend on, right? It's doubt. Faith, however, that's a hard one. Because as Abraham is unfolding this thing, he has no idea where it's going. He doesn't realize that out of this infertile couple is going to come a child who's going to you know, have, a, have a grandson who's going to wrestle with the angel of God. It's going to emerge into a tribe of 12 people and one of them is going to be carried off to Egypt to be a slave only to be a elevated to the status of second in charge. And if only Abram knew in that moment that that seed that God would allow to germinate would become that storyline. If only Abram knew that those people would begin to populate Egypt in such a way that in their state of oppression, God would jump in and he would say, I'm going to make you a special people for my redemptive purpose so that I can bless everyone through you. And he calls them out of Egypt through, through a body of water into the staging area for the promised land. And every step of the way, God's saying, there are barriers, there are barriers, there are pharaohs, and there are ten plagues, and there is a body of water, and there's giants in the land, and there's, you name it, that would just escalate your doubt. It's going to be there. But when it is, don't let that deter you. Now, here's where I think we all have to be equipped somewhat what would keep me from doing the thing that I'm supposed to do as God calls me into it? Well, I want to look at the story a little bit more carefully in Genesis 12, 1 through 3. Because embedded in it are two things. One of them is a promise. God has promised that he will bless the earth through Abraham. That promise finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. And then what Jesus does is creates us, the church, so that we can be just people scattered all over the place that are just agents of that promise where that brokenness still prevails. That's the plan. God is not deviating from that plan. And so if he calls you into it, he will say, look at the pattern. The pattern is this. I make a promise. I call you into something by faith. And as you go into it, there's always a problem. 
Oh, you can't conceive. Oh, your son can't conceive. Oh, Jacob is going to get pummeled by his brother Esau. He's going to just kill him. On and on. There's always something that gets in the way. Just count on it. And when it does, God will always provide a way if it's grounded in his promises. I don't know how well those promises are embedded in you, but one of the biggest reason why doubt prevails and not faith is because we don't have the promises established in our lives, which energize what we do. Because if God says it, then his name is on the line. Not our name, his name is on the line. And he's asking us, what are you going to do about this? And it's the promise that sees us through. And in 2 Corinthians 1.10 it says, And all the promises of God are yes in Jesus. So all you have to do is keep him close. Keep the promises close that he is calling you into something. Whatever it may be to redeem whatever part of your life that is. And Jesus, if you keep him close, will see you through that. And the writer of Hebrews is making a case in Hebrews 11. He's making a case about all of these people embracing the pattern of promise, the pattern of faith, the pattern of taking steps forward, the pattern of God orchestrating already in front of us, the the pattern of God showing up at the last minute and providing, and then the pattern of God keeping that going. And what God is saying to us is, Keep it going. We're sending a team of missionaries to the Dominican. We just sent them this week. And they were saying in their minds at some point, yeah, there's, a, there, there's, a, there's an area where we can serve. And we want to do it. And many people who go say, I never thought in, in, in all my dreams that I would go and do something like that. Only to come back to say, wow, my misgivings were misplaced because God showed up and enabled it. Sean and, and, and Rich are going to Bulgaria in the summer. And, you know, have you ever been to Bulgaria? So you're saying, Lord, just stepping out in faith, do what you got to do. And I'm not saying you even have to go on the mission field. I'm just saying those are dramatic examples of people saying, we're going. And then on the other side of it, the back end, are people like us and God saying, I'm sending them. Are you going to help me send them? Are you going to encourage them? Are you going to pray for them? Are you going to enable them? Because this orchestration involves all of us. It's not like God's going to do it without us. He's saying, I'm going to do it through you. And that's why he started small with Abraham. He didn't just say, okay, Abraham, I'm calling a whole bunch of you at one time to do this fantastic feat of capturing the world. No, I'm just going to start small. And I'm going to allow it to grow. And I want you to trust me because you have no idea where this is going. And some of you in your lives are the product of somebody who said, I prayed for you at one time, a long time ago. I had no idea that you would end up in church or you'd end up serving or you'd end up going on the mission field. And I, I, I constantly remember as I was reminded in the reading about my, my, my grandmother who was bedridden, who constantly prayed for his, her kids and her grandkids and I was one of them. And I know that I'm here because of her. But she had no idea that I would be a pastor in a church, that I would baptize people, that I would have some influence in the lives of other people and that there are people who, hopefully I've had that influence, who are doing far greater things than I'm capable of doing. And she had no idea. And I wonder, 
Do you think about the people in your world, your kids, your grandkids, maybe somebody that you're mentoring and you're praying for them and you're saying, God, I know with me it's impossible just to influence them with my words, but I want your words to come alive in them so that somehow they can connect with you in faith and then they can begin to be that person of blessing that you want them to be in the world that they are going to be a part of. That is how it works. So there's a a limiter, doubt. And there's a limiter that is willfulness. This is, I don't want to be a part of it. And God gives us that option for sure. But the things that fuel it are, first of all, promises I mentioned. And the thing embedded in this passage of Scripture... It doesn't say it exactly, but it's just simply this. The Word of God. The Word of God. Abraham was spoken to by the very words of God. And that was enough to give him the courage to do what he needs to do. But one of my biggest fears, and I probably even played into it a little bit, is the fact that that I'm not as established in God's word as I'd like to be and the people that I'm leading and influencing aren't as established in God's word as I, as I know they need to be in these times. And so if nothing else, I want to just begin to offset that deficit so that we're spending more time in the word because when you do, I don't know about you, but every time I crack that Bible open, it speaks to me. God's saying something. And it may be a word of encouragement. It may be a word of rebuke. It may be a word of vision. Because throughout the... The Bible may be confusing on a lot of fronts. But I can say this. History in the Bible doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. It does keep repeating the pattern over and over and over. And in that line of faith that God as um, established, there was a character that I was surprised that he was in there. His name was Samson. You know, I was surprised he was in there because Samson was one of those guys. I would love to have met him because he was filled with charisma. He was gifted. He was a star. And really could have done awesome things for God and his kingdom. But like so many people who, weigh, who skew too heavily on that end, he forgot somewhere to pick up a few things in the character department along the way. And the whole thing just imploded. Yet, despite his own personal train wreck, God said, I'm not done with you yet. And maybe that's the third thing that's limiting you. Maybe it's you're saying, I am not worthy. You do not know what I've done. You do not know my story. You don't know how I've disqualified myself to move into this into this realm of faith. And God's like, have you read Hebrews 11 lately? Well, no, God, I, I read it a few years ago. You should reread it again. Because there's a lot of people in there that are probably disqualified more than you are who have, for some reason, gotten it right at a critical moment. And God used them as an agent of blessing. Now, Samson didn't have the blood of Christ to cover him in his guilt and sin. 
He didn't have the privilege of knowing what we know in Christ. But we do. We really don't have much of an excuse, do we? But maybe God's saying, all I want you to do is take a step in faith and then reduce your baggage just a little bit. And I found with shortcomings in my own life, they're like whack-a-mole. If I knock one down, two more pop up. And I'm like, oh, i got to work on those now. But that's all right because you'll never be perfected. You just have to be faithful. And what God is saying is, I'm just, along the way, I'm taking some of that baggage that's keeping you from moving into it. And I'm, and I, and I'm reducing it. And this time of year, I'm reminded of hiking. I don't know how many of you like hiking, but I just can't wait to get out and do some, do some hiking out on the trail. And my first experience with hiking, I wore a backpack and we hiked for, for a few days and it weighed 47 pounds. And I realized along the way, I didn't, I didn't need dental floss. I didn't need conditioner. And it's like God saying, you think you need this, but you don't. Just leave it behind. And then as I became more adept at it, and I realized God provided along the way, I understood that God says, travel light. Now, next time I went out, it was 42 pounds. And I've heard of hikers actually getting to a place where they do 25, 18, 19 pounds on long journeys because they figure out something. They may think they've got to have it all in order before they go. They've got to have all their sins taken care of. They've got to get everything prepared. They've got to have it clear in their mind. They've got to, they've got to sit under bright and brilliant teachers for a number of years before they can go. God's like, no, go, sat ready. That's the, that's the program. Because when you go, you start to lose that weight. The baggage sort of falls off. And the more you go, the more that stuff that trips you up becomes non-essential. But it only becomes non-essential as you go. Not as you think, oh, I need to get rid of that because that's non-essential. No, you're just cruising along in faith, taking those steps and God saying, you don't need that anymore. Let's get rid of it. And let's move on. And that, I think, is one of the ways that he really sanctifies us. But it is that baggage that we hang on to that we say, God, it disqualifies me. And God says, just move. Just keep moving because you'll find that it no longer fits. And so God's not really giving us any reason not to step out in faith, is he? We have doubts. He says, walk by faith, not by sight. We have willfulness. But maybe one of the reasons you're in here, like I'm in here, is because my will made decisions and took me places that said, that doesn't work. And maybe you're here because God is saying to you, I want you to know something. You'll never be good enough. That is why I sent my son. So that where you lack, his grace is sufficient. And you got to lean into that. And just keep moving into him. Because no matter how imperfect you are, he is perfect. And no matter how much you can't bless other people, he can bless other people through you. But you have to take a step of faith. And I wonder, what, what are your barriers? What is keeping you from moving forward? I don't really see any. And even if you take a step of faith, just trust me on this, and you're like, oh, that blew up, oh, that was a train wreck, you know what that is? 
practice. Because whatever didn't go right, God says, I've embedded in that experience so much for you to learn from, so that next time when you're moving into that need or that thing, you'll be a little wiser. And probably we'll be able to do it a little more effectively. How do I know? Because I've read the story of Abraham. And that's pretty much what it was all about. Several misguided steps and then finding his stride. This isn't a place for perfect people. This isn't even a place where you use the word failure. It's just a place that says, we're just learning. We're learning how to follow Jesus. We're learning how to make mistakes. And we are creating a safe environment where when we do, there's a table that we meet at that says, my grace is sufficient. And there's a group of people that we meet with that say, we're all on the same side. And we're fighting a war that's out there. And we can't be shooting our own when the enemies are trying to steal the blessing at every turn. I guess what I want to do with this is I want to call you into this experience. Because somewhere in your heart, God says, this is the next step. And this is the moment that you take the next step. And God may be just saying right now, I just want you to be a part of something special. I want you to be blessed. I want to lift that curse that you're feeling on your life because what we sang about in in another song today was how he ransomed himself for our sins so that the curse could be taken away. It's already done. Done deal. It's like a contract. It's legal. Now you can second guess it, but it's legal. You've got to trust it. But if you don't know the word, you can't trust it. And God is calling you into this moment and he's saying, trust my promises. Trust my word. Trust those promptings that I'm giving you right now. Because they're taking you somewhere. And it may be just to the front of the church right now to become a part of the blessing. Or it may be to some other place that God has you right now in space and time that you're stuck at. And he's saying, it's time to get unstuck. And it's time to move forward in faith. Because I put you on this earth for a purpose. And that's the only reason why you're here. And maybe God is saying to you right now, I just need some clarification. I need some guidance. And that's why we're here. That's why I'm here. That's why Brian's here. Brittany, Jim, on and on. As God calls us into this moment, he's calling us to be a people. Because the world out there, I don't know if you follow the news lately, but it is jacked up. And there's only one answer. And it's Jesus. I hope you can walk into him as he's working in your heart, as he's been working in my heart. 
and we can be a people of blessing.